Well, let's read together this evening from the second letter of Peter and chapter 3. 2 Peter and chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ." To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. 
Well, we're looking this evening at the second letter of Peter and chapter three. How much time do you spend thinking about heaven? I was challenged to consider that question reading a very helpful little book by uh, Pastor Gwyn Williams on the subject of heaven. And um, he quotes from C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia and other writings. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. Some people would say, well, it's a pointless exercise, isn't it? Thinking about heaven, having your head in the clouds, get, get in the real world. But actually, to think about that uh, eternal glory, our real hope, our destination as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we trust in him, that is a very profitable, a very helpful thing to do. Richard Baxter, one of the Puritans, serving the Lord in the town of Kidderminster um, many years ago, um, carried out a very, very helpful ministry there, going from house to house, uh, using the catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, a series of questions and answers based on the truth of the Bible. Many people then perhaps wouldn't have been able to read or write uh, wouldn't have had the benefit of that education, yet they could memorize these um, truths in, in the forms of questions and answers and, and scripture. And uh, it was said that when he arrived in that town, there was hardly a street where there was a true believer. And when he finished his ministry, there was hardly a house in each street where there was not a true believer. The Lord really mightily used the ministry of uh, Richard Baxter, but he suffered terribly with illness for most of his ministry. And somebody once asked him, well, how do you keep going? How do you exercise that kind of ministry when um, you yourself are suffering with illness in such a way? And his answer was very interesting, that he spent half an hour each day meditating, thinking upon heaven. And I wonder what difference it might make to us if we were to follow that kind of example and spend more uh, effort and time thinking about that glory to come, being in the presence of the risen Christ and all his people for all eternity, serving him, worshipping him, living in his presence where uh, there is uh, perfect bliss and freedom from all sin and all its effects. What a wonderful thing that is to focus our attention upon. So this evening, I want us to think about heaven. I want us to think about where we're going if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't just mean heaven as it is now. Wonderful though that is, those who are believers in Christ, who have departed from us, are absent from the body, as scripture tells us, but present with the Lord. And to be with Christ, uh, we read in Philippians, is far better. And, and so that is a wonderful thing for those who have uh, died in Christ. But that is not the end of the story. 
And I want us to focus in particular upon um, the resurrection on the last day and upon the new creation, the new universe, the new heavens and earth where righteousness dwells. Um, That's what we read about here in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 in particular. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In the Old Testament, this is a New Testament passage, but in the Old Testament, um, there was no single word in the Hebrew language for the universe. The way that they would refer to all of this creation is the heavens and the earth. Uh, Thinking of them as a a unity, really. The heavens and the earth. And and that way of speaking was carried forward then into the New Testament. And so the New Testament originally in, in Greek used that kind of figure of speech or that kind of expression to describe all of the creation, the heavens and the earth. And the promise here is a new heavens and earth where righteousness dwells. I want us to begin just by thinking about the promise of the new universe, the promise of the new universe. Where is your real home if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, Thinking about it, I worked out I've lived in about 10 different houses uh, during my life so far. And each one seemed like a home. It is a home um, for a time. Maybe some of you can beat that record. I don't know. Some of you might have lived in more places than that. Each place where you live is your home for a time. But it's not your permanent home. You are a temporary resident. You're passing through this present life, this present world. Your final home, if you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, your real home, your final home, is not even heaven as it is now. Though that is a a precious and a wonderful experience for those who have gone before us. But your real and permanent home is that new universe in which righteousness dwells, that new creation, when Jesus makes all things new, as he's promised to do. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker by trade, and he spoke in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about this present experience now, this earthly life and this physical body as a tent. And uh, he spoke also of um, a building, a more permanent building, a building of God eternal in the heavens. He contrasted that temporary residence with that glorious permanent dwelling place to be with the Saviour forever. Um, In the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell into sin... The result of that was that uh, a curse came upon all of creation. 
Genesis tells us that Adam was created from the dust of the earth, that the Lord uh, formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. So from the beginning, there was a connection between man and the ground, the earth. In fact, the, the name Adam is very close to the Hebrew word for ground or land or earth, Adamah. And so from the beginning, there was that connection between man and the earth. But at the fall into sin, when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed the Lord, they heard the voice of Satan and they went that way instead. The, the consequence of that, as God pronounced it, was that um, the whole of creation came under a curse. Um, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are. And to dust you shall return. So by turning away from God, that relationship with creation was damaged. It was broken. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world to save us, to redeem us, and to turn back the effects of that curse, to reverse the curse. In fact, there's a wonderful symmetry in the Bible and when we get to the last book of the Bible, there are echoes there of Genesis and parallels there. And the wonderful thing that we read in Revelation 22, verse 3, is, and there shall be no more curse. So the Lord Jesus Christ has come to reverse the curse. He's come to renew all things. And that includes the earth. And that includes these fallen um, temporary um, bodies that, that will one day be restored and, and made glorious. We were meant to glorify God on earth, to live in a perfect uh, environment with the Lord forever. And we're not to think of heaven as just floating on clouds um, without any relation to the physical creation, our ultimate goal and our ultimate home is to live in a renewed universe, in glorified, perfected bodies and, and with a perfected soul, free from sin, free from all the effects of sin. Um, Jesus, even in his Sermon on the Mount on, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the passage that we read here in 2 Peter 3 refers to God's promise with respect to the universe. In verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Peter, the apostle, mentions that some people don't take any notice of the promises of God. 
Some people have forgotten that once there was a universal flood, a judgment that came upon the earth and upon the people of the earth, um, because in those days uh, there was evil abounding and uh, every thought and intent of the heart was evil. And, and God uh, warned and, and people refused to listen and, and the flood came. And this great judgment fell upon the earth. And, and some people, says the Apostle Peter, have forgotten all about that. And they say, well, uh, things are just continuing and, you know, there's no sign of any judgment. Um, what, what is this day of the Lord? Do, do we need to think about that, really? And God's word is clear that another day is coming, a day of great judgment, a day when this present evil world will be consumed, not by a, a flood of water, but by fire. Uh, in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, so it will be sudden and unexpected, in which the heavens will pass away, all of, um, all of space and the, and the clouds the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat and then... That's a great promise. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Maybe we're good at recycling. Do you put your recycling out in the bin or the, whatever container it is? It seems to vary from one um, county to another. But uh, we, we have a two-weekly collection at the moment of recycling and we have to put our recycling out um, never quite know what happens to it. We, we understand it goes off and, and something happens to it and it gets uh, used again. Um, but the idea of the whole of the universe being recycled, that's quite a concept, isn't it? That this, this world, this universe, will, will be destroyed but remade into something that is perfect, something that is glorious and transformed. Um, in the beginning, all of creation came by the word of the Lord and was created out of nothing. But the new creation will be created out of something. It will be a reformed, reconstituted universe made perfect uh, in the Lord's goodness and power and grace. And that promise is, is echoed all the way through the Bible, from probably the earliest book of the Bible, Job. There was a hint of that there. Um, amazingly, that this man, without the benefit of all of the scriptures that we have, or even the Old Testament, this was made known to him, that he would stand on the earth and that he would be raised 
in glory. For I know that my Redeemer lives, Job chapter 19, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And the truth about the resurrection from the dead and the truth about the new universe go together. Psalm 102 speaks of God folding up the heavens and the earth and putting them away, just like you would fold up a piece of clothing and put it away. Some of you young people have been away this weekend and uh, you come back and you've got all that washing to do and um, you've got to sort out the stuff that you've had and you you fold your clothes up and you put them away. Uh, The whole universe is going to be folded up and put away, but made gloriously new. Um, The Old Testament prophets foretold the day when God would give his people a new beginning. Israel was under the judgment of God because again and again the prophets had come with a word from the Lord and largely that word had been ignored and they turned to idol worship and all kinds of evil practices and the Lord patiently waited and sent them messenger after messenger and they didn't heed the warnings and so enemies came invaded the land carried many of the people away to foreign lands where they stayed for many many years but God promised that one day a remnant of the people would come back and start again and rebuild and the language that is used there of that return from exile the language that's used is of God making a new heavens and a new earth in Isaiah 65 and verse 17 and other other places but the promises there are really looking beyond that immediate fulfillment yes they would come back to the land they would start again they would start over anew but as with many of the prophecies in the old testament and, and in scripture they look beyond the immediate and they're looking for that final consummation of all things um, when the lord jesus christ the son of god will return and make all things new jesus in matthew 19 refers to the regeneration literally the regenesis the new genesis when he's speaking with his disciples in the regeneration he says when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory peter in acts 3 verse 21 tells of the restoration of all things which god has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began romans chapter 8 describes the whole of creation eagerly awaiting uh, the redemption of our bodies and the renewal of creation Um, the way that it's put is is as if creation is standing on its tiptoes craning its neck to, to look and eagerly waiting revelation 21 takes up the language of isaiah now i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the apostle john in his vision from god is able to see something of what that will be like the promise of the new universe is all the way through scripture 
But let's think secondly about the perfection of the new universe. It will be a perfect environment, a perfect place. It is the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It will be perfect. Let's think about the perfection of the new universe. Each um, bank holiday weekend at the beginning of May, um, we, we normally go to uh, a church house party at Hebron Hall in Dinas Paris. Some of you may have been there. Uh, it's a lovely location and um, Christians from various churches gather together. We have ministry from God's word. We worship together. We share fellowship and a time to relax. And um, it's a lovely place to be, and we look forward to that. It's the first weekend, the bank holiday weekend in May, usually. Uh, a number of years ago, we were there, and um, for some reason, I, I couldn't sleep very well. It's always a bit strange in a different place, isn't it, getting to sleep? And I woke up quite early, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll go outside, and I'll sit in the garden. Uh, beautiful, a sunny morning, the birds were singing, there were lovely flowers. The gardens are very well kept there. And uh, I thought, this is like paradise. And I, uh, I was just sitting there quietly and thinking and praying. And then I lifted my eyes up from the flower beds and the, the beautiful gardens. And in the distance on the horizon were a lot of factory chimneys. Um, is it Barry Docks? I'm not sure where, where it is, actually. But uh, all these chimneys. And I thought, oh, what a contrast that is. Um, yes, we're in a world which has many beautiful things in it. God, God is good to us. But it is a fallen world. It's a world which is imperfect. And uh, there is that contrast we're living with every day. But yes, uh, we know God's goodness. But we're in a fallen world. We're in a world where... We live every day with the effects of sin. And um, it's quite hard to imagine, isn't it, a world without any sin and without any of the effects of sin. Do you get tired of living every day in a world where you're surrounded by evil things? Maybe you go to work or, or school and you're bombarded with Bad language, suggestive jokes, perhaps. And, and you think, well, I'm tired of this. You come home, you turn on the news, and you feel even worse. You hear about uh, awful things happening in the world all around you. Wars, terrorist acts, horrific um, crimes. So you turn the TV off and you think, well... At least I can enjoy a relaxing evening at home with, with the family. And then someone says something and someone reacts and you think, oh dear. We live in a fallen world. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world where there's no such thing as sin? Uh, a place free from arguments, free from pollution and litter, um, where you no longer struggle against your own sinful flesh, where you no longer hear Satan whispering in your ear, go on, it doesn't matter, go your way. 
You no longer feel the world tugging at your sleeve. Come with us, do this. You no longer struggle against those powerful temptations of this world and of the evil one. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness, only righteousness dwells. Isn't that something to look forward to? It's hard to imagine and it's hard to describe. In fact, language fails when we try to put it into words and get our minds to understand it. And the Bible doesn't give many details about that new creation. It tells us enough to help us to hope in it and and to look forward to it. But some of the descriptions sound almost harsh and artificial. Seas of glass, streets of gold. It's something which we've not yet experienced and, and language fails. God's word says more about what is not going to be there than what is going to be there. Um, There will be no more sea, Revelation 21, verse 1. Probably sea as a symbol of of chaos and disorder. No more night, Revelation 22, verse 5. There will neither be the need for lamps or the sun because the Lord is the light. We can't press these details too, um, too literally or, or, or in, in too much precise detail um, because we can't really, at this point, understand fully what it will be like. But Christ's glory will fill all of that environment. He will be the focus of everything, the glorious God and Saviour um, who has rescued us from our sins There will be no death, Revelation 21 and verse 4. Death will be done away with. Death is the direct consequence of sin, as we see in Genesis chapter 3. So there will be no more cemeteries, no more funerals, no more standing at the graveside uh, of a loved one or a friend, watching the coffin going down, No, no pain of separation. Um, No sadness, no disappointment, no shattered dreams, no broken relationships, no heartache in family lives, no difficult experiences, no trials, no church problems and struggles. We don't have a perfect church yet. One day we will have. No stress, no anxiety, no depression. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear. God will do it. No pain. No um, operations. No hospitals. No painkillers. All of that will be gone. There will be such a, a sense of well-being, body and soul, in the new creation. Are you looking forward to being with the Lord in that environment? But, of course, the the most wonderful thing, the most perfect thing about this new creation is that Christ will be there. That's what makes heaven, heaven, that he will be there. And that we will spend eternity 
with him. What should this do for us? Well, it should spur us on to be faithful now, to be obedient to God's will now. Um, Notice the application here. Therefore, in verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So that thought of, um, of being with our Saviour in glory forever and ever, worshipping him, serving him, living in his presence, seeing him face to face, that should so motivate us that we live now in this present situation for him, seeking first the kingdom of, of God and his righteousness, looking to Christ, that he is the number one priority in our lives And that means living as far as we can by the grace of God, according to God's will. And um, as the Spirit of God works in us, he conforms us more and more to the image of Jesus Christ, that we become more like our perfect Saviour as we live for him now. Um, Matthew Henry, in his Bible commentary, says that grace is glory begun. Grace is glory begun. So we're to have that um, motivation to look forward to that perfection of being in Christ's presence forever. And then the peace of the new universe. Let's just focus on that. The peace of the new universe. Um, A place where righteousness dwells is also a place where peace and harmony and Christian love and unity dwell. The whole creation will be restored to harmony. One of our children, when they were younger, had a poster uh, on his bedroom wall, and it was a photograph of a lion next to a little lamb. And the Bible text on that poster was from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness I often wondered what happened after that uh, photo shoot. (laughs) Did they quickly whisk the lamb away uh, before the lion turned round and had his dinner? Um, We still live in a fallen world. There's there's, um, animosity between parts of the creation. Um, But in the new creation, we will be at perfect peace and harmony with, with all of creation. Um, in Isaiah 11 and 65, it speaks of the wolf and the lamb feeding together, the lion eating straw like the ox. We'll be at harmony with the creation itself. We'll be at harmony with all, uh, all those who are there. Um, there'll be no conflict in relationships. It will be perfect peace, perfect harmony. And... Um, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3 gives us a foretaste of that even now. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And it speaks of fellowship there on on a human level, but also with the Lord himself. And that, of course, will be made perfect and complete in the new universe. Um, Do you have this hope for yourself. Will you be amongst that company? 
that blood-bought company of people saved from this present evil world and brought into paradise with the Saviour forever. Um, Because verse 9 gives us that real hope for every one of us that no no one needs to miss out on this um, on this salvation. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. He's very, very patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right now, the door of heaven is wide open, and you may go in, and you may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and find peace with God, find your sins forgiven, find that real hope of eternal life and glory to come, to be with Christ forever. Do you know that for yourself? Have you believed in his name? Have you trusted in him and in his perfect finished work, uh, dying on the cross for sinners, rising again to life? Do you trust in him? Do you have peace with God? Um, Because Right now, the Lord is patiently waiting and uh, giving you opportunity to believe and to come to him. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants you to be part of that new creation. Will you believe in the Son of God, the Saviour? And then uh, just finally now, the praise of the new universe, the praise of of the new universe. When we sing these glorious hymns of worship, there are times, aren't there, where we're, as Charles Wesley says in his hymn, lost in wonder, love and praise. Just for a moment, you you catch a foretaste of heaven. Um, And the the truth that we sing and the, um, the words of scripture as we think upon them, they do often stir up within us this um, praise and a desire to worship the Lord for all his goodness to us. And of course, praise will be very much a part of that experience of glory to come. We'll be worshipping God, we'll be worshipping the Lamb of God who loved us and who died for us. Uh, Revelation chapter 7 gives us some idea of this. Um, from verse 9, after these things, says the Apostle John, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. And it it goes on to say that those who... um, have washed their, ro- their robes and been made white in the blood of the Lamb, will be there before the throne, serving him day and night in his temple. 
The idea of service there is very closely linked with the idea of worship. The two are intertwined. Um, serving God will be our delight. It will be a restful service. Uh, there won't be, it won't be just like um, work now, which can be hard going and, and a, uh, a chore at times, but service will be a delight. It will be restful to serve the Lord and to worship him as we do so. There will be new activities, new responsibilities in the glory to come, in that new creation. Um, do, do you sometimes feel frustrated that there's just never enough time for the things that you really want to do and, and should be doing and need to do? Do you feel sometimes life is just too short and there are so many things that you, you want to achieve? Sometimes in, in a day you have your to-do list maybe and you think, well, I've only got through half of those things or less than half. Um, there are new skills and interests that you'd love to pursue, but there often isn't the time or the opportunity. In God's glorious new world, you'll have all the opportunity that you need to develop those gifts and abilities. There'll be new potential, new abilities. And uh, all in the presence of our glorious risen, a conquering King and Saviour. He will be the focus of our worship then. And he's worthy of all our worship now. So let's begin now, worshipping, serving our Lord, our Saviour, our Redeemer, and praise him for his great salvation.